Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. All right, welcome. We have a full house today, so if you guys can make sure that you make space so that people can kind of just creep in and, and, and sit somewhere. Welcome back, everyone. So nice to see you all this Sunday morning, and we are continuing our community group series called Waiting on God. And Abun Elijah started us off last week about this concept of how so many of us at some season in our life are waiting on God. You're counting on God to come through. And sometimes it feels as though God is taking too long, that you can't bear it anymore, that it's too much. Where is God? You know, something I, I discovered. You know, when the, the disciples were on the boat and it was in the middle of a storm, it says that Christ came at the fourth watch of the night. Christ is, imagine you're rowing and you're stirring and it's a storm and it's scary and he came at the fourth night to the wa- uh, fourth watch of the night. But he could have come at the first. He could have come at the second. He could have come at the third. He walked on water so it wasn't like, it wasn't, there was nothing hindering him. He wasn't waiting for transportation. He was waiting for the fourth watch of the night. You see, when Lazarus was raised from the dead, the Jews believed that the spirit of that dead person is roaming around the, the earth for the first three days. Jesus waited until the fourth night, fourth day. They're like, Lord, come on. Even to the point where even the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus waited back before he went. And it wasn't very, very far. It was like a couple kilometers. Jesus just had to walk down the street and go and do the miracle. And he waited for the fourth day. He waited for the fourth uh, watch of the night to come to the storm. That's sometimes how God likes to work with us. None of us like it, and that's what we want to try to understand this morning. We want to talk about when God seems absent. There are times in your life where you feel like God seems absent. There's nothing harder for me than to sit in like a, like, you know, the, the room or the confession room. And somebody, I tell them, you know, are you praying about it? They said, yes, I've been praying for 10 years, Abuna. You say, like, did you, you know, like, did you fast? They said, Abuna, anything you're going to tell me, I did it 10 times. And all I can do is either give them a hug or, or, or say, like, I'll be praying for you. It's hard. And sometimes God is absent. Or it seems as though God is absent. We want to understand what that is. Uh, no. And what we call that is a certain time when God seems absent. A lot of the fathers call it the winter of the soul. You know, there's many, many seasons. You have summer is like, you know, as, as Sandy was saying, as the weather is nice and you guys are out and you're going out and fall. Very beautiful season is spring. But winter is one of those that you stay indoors. Some people get seasonal depression in winter. It's a very, very hard season of life for some people. They, they feel depressed staying indoors in the cold. Most people who live, you know, maybe in Canada or up north, they go down to Florida for the winter when they, when they retire because they just can't be around winter. But there's some winters, the winter of the soul, you can't escape. 
You can't escape that one. And it's a reality, and it's a part of life. And it's not because you follow God. A lot of people say, well, if I follow God, I'm going to get this whole winter, this whole thing. I don't want it. Let me just do my own thing. Winter's going to come. Winter's going to come. There's no place you can move. You guys have your handouts. You can fill out the handouts to be able to, to follow along. There's no place you can move to escape a spiritual winter. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. And we need a way of holding on to God when it feels as if God had let go of us. And this is a very hard thing that I'm saying is that you want to be able to hold on to God at the same time that you believe in your heart or, or you feel in your heart God has let go of you. And so usually if somebody lets go of me, then fine, I'm going to let go of you. But we need to figure out how we can hold on to him in that time. Your winter might be when word comes back from the doctor's lab that the test was positive. Your, word might, your, your winter might come when um, you get fired from a job and you know that you're already stressed financially and all of a sudden they say, you know, sorry, we have to let you off. And you were already under with your job. And so all of a sudden, like it's the winter of the soul. Um, you lose a loved one. Some dark time happens in your life that was unexpected and this winter comes and you just can't be yourself. And you feel the pain. Maybe when your kids became teenagers, you start the winter of the soul. I'm, like, I'm in that boat right now, okay? Got two of them suckers at home. <laughs> the winter of the soul, like... Lord, where are you? You know, like you're holding on, saying, Lord, okay, let them get, grow through it. Give me, give me the patience. While they're going through this, they're doing their normal part, but I'm the one that's suffering. I'm the one that's going through the winter. Help me to get through it, Lord. Maybe winter comes when you feel that you're failing in your marriage. You feel like your marriage is like, that's it, your spouse is done with you or you're done with your spouse and you feel like that's a season of, of, of winter. We have these prayers in the book of, in, in the Bible, especially in the Psalms. He says, I cry out to you for help, O Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? So this is not a strange prayer to pray. Even David, even the church teaches us to pray the prayers of David. That if you and I want to become saints, we pray these prayers. Okay. I think that the microphone is a little bit high in the back. If we can lower the volume, the people in the back can lower the volume. Somebody lower the volume. It's a little bit too loud. And so we're going to talk about, if we're going to talk about one character in the Bible where it seems not that low, a little bit louder, <laughs> a little louder. Okay, more, more. Hello? There we go. Okay. If we're going to talk about one character in the Bible where if you study him and you're like, where is God? Which character is that in the Bible? Job. That's what we're going to look at today, this, this morning, is Job. The hardest part of the winter of the soul is not just this or this bad event, but it's when you can't find God. And there's so many people, you get to a season in your life where you say, I can't find God. And nothing hurts more than somebody whose faith is already shaken and they can't find God. And you're like, that's when I'm like, God, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? This is your chance to jump in and do the fireworks and show them how amazing you are. And God's nowhere to be found and you can't find God. Let's look at this book. There are these wintry books in the Bible. You find Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, 
Um, many of the Psalms, they're wintry books. But now we're going to focus on Job. And the story begins nice. When you read the book of Job, it's actually a beautiful story. It says, In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. He's a good man. So you're thinking, as you know, like hindsight, you know the story of Job. You're thinking, I wonder what he did wrong in his life. The Bible tells us that Job used to offer sacrifices to God for his children, lest one day they sin. They didn't sin. But just in case they sin, I'm going to offer a sacrifice that God would have mercy on them and would bless them and never leave them. He was such a godly man. And the problems in this book are the problems of the human race, and all of us will wrestle at some time with the absence of God. Some of us at some point are going to wrestle with that. And as we read the story, all of a sudden there's a sudden, there's suddenly like a, like a shift in the scenery. There's a dispute between Satan and God that takes place. Satan and God are starting to have a conversation. Let's read it. Job 1, 9 to 12. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household and around all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Let's continue reading. Job 1, 20, 22 says, Then Job arose after everything, every disaster happened. He lost his children. He lost his livestock. He got boils all over his body, what seemed maybe like leprosy. He started to live the most miserable existence. God told Satan, just don't touch his mind. Don't touch his mind, but do whatever you want with him. And he got diseases, and all of his children died. Everything went wrong in Job's life. And then Job 1, the same chapter, says, Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. Job, what are you doing? Worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Look at verse 22, best verse in the whole Bible. I say this every sermon. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. You want to know what's funny about this story? You and I, when we read the book of Job, we know about the conversation that happened between God and Satan. Job doesn't know. He doesn't know throughout the whole book. He doesn't know by the end of the book. God never tells him, hey, by the way, I had this conversation with Satan. He said that Job is, you know, not going to believe me. And I said, yes, Job is going to love me. And no matter, Job has no idea. Job just woke up one day. He's offering, sacrifice, offering sacrifices, serving the Lord, and boom, everything is ruined. He doesn't know what you and I know in the story, that God had this conversation with Satan. And he's responding with what? He worshipped. He worshipped. I'm going to try to understand how to find God in these moments. You see, in all this, he did not sin nor charge God with wrong. The key question is on this on the stage comes when Satan asks, it says, does Job, does Job fear God for nothing? He says, the only reason why he fears you is because everything is good. I'll prove to you that if everything is bad, Job will never follow you. I want to ask you the same question. 
If God were to look at you and say, these people, they only follow you. Even when it's good, they don't follow you. But when it is good, they'll follow you. But when it's bad, do you think these people are going to follow you? Uh-uh. You know what was amazing? I saw like, you know, the whole, everything that's happening in, in, in Gaza and everything happening in, in Israel. That the families, the Palestinian families, are starting to get their children to do mass baptisms just before they die. They're saying, Father, we want you to baptize every baby alive right now, just in case we die. As opposed to saying, if God is allowing this to happen, I don't want my baby to be baptized. I don't have anything to do with God. Some people are clinging on to God when it almost seems like, hey God, where are you? Like, where, where, where's like the good God coming in? Where's superhero God save the day? This is a perfect time to make the whole world see the power of God. Where's God? You see, Satan is telling God that he's being naive. He says, turn off the faucet of blessing and watch how fast he turns off the faucet of devotion. I'm asking you this right now. In the times where you are struggling, you're having a hard time, God doesn't turn off the faucet. He turns down the faucet a little bit. Are you just as devoted? You're just as devoted to God. You say, let me think about that time in my life. Yeah, I was on my knees because I was in desperate need for God and God came through. Okay, well, you were on your knees and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and He never came through. Where are you now? Some people make an idol out of their prayers. That whatever it is that I'm begging God to do, I'm asking him, saying, Lord, please do this. And then God decides he's not going to do it. And then now I say, okay, God, since you didn't do this, I don't want to have anything to do with you. It's okay, so then this is your idol. This is your God that you're worshiping, not God. It's whatever it is that you're praying for, that you're hoping that God is going to come through. Be careful. This is a lot of time where we need to start measuring ourselves. Can a human being hold on to God in the face of suffering? That's what we want to understand this morning. St. Isaac the Syrian says this, the measuring stick of one's love for God is measured by how much one suffers for Him. So the church fathers are saying that if you really want to test your love and you want to see whether it is that you do love God, whether it is that you will, it's actually going to be measured by your suffering. That somebody that endures suffering for his sake, that's the measuring stick to say, Lord, I will follow you. I remember some of the hard times in, in my life. Um, I remember there was a song that used to say, I will, go through the, I will go through the valley if you want me to. I will go through the valley of the shadow of death if that's what you want, Lord. And I remember me and Sherry looking at each other and saying, all right, we're going to do it. We're just going to, we're going to go forward. We're going to keep on, even if that's what you want. I'm going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. Because that's how you taste God. That's how you taste God. You see, in the beginning, he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Later on, it says, he sat on an ash heap. I'm not going to read all that because it's a, it's a long book. At the town dump, maybe it's an act of grieving. He's being isolated because of his skin condition. And his wife is telling him, curse God and die. Like, just curse God. He's the one that did this to you and die. And you start to see how Job begins to react. What does he tell him? Look at what Job tells his wife. 
She's saying, Job, you're still going to follow God? Curse him and die. Look what Job says. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? I want to ask you guys that this morning. How many of you are willing to accept trouble from God as well? How many of you are willing to say, well, Lord, you're the king of my life. You're my father. You are shepherding my soul. You know that I will accept trouble from you, knowing that it's from you. Same thing when you go to, God forbid, you have some type of, of, of sickness that is, 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 is a deadly sickness and you don't know and it seems like there's not much hope for this sickness and you go and you find the best surgeon or brain surgeon or doctor that knows and you go and you say, all right, I don't know anything, doc. If you're going to have to give me a treatment that's going to hurt me, it's going to make me a little bit miserable for a long time, I'm going to take it from you because I know that ultimately your goal is to do what? It's to heal me. That's going to hurt. I know, but like your goal, trust me, I, I, I want us to believe that your goal is to make me better. Yeah, we have the same goal. Okay, then you're going to go through the process. One of the most difficult things is to understand the incomprehensibility of God. When God is not comprehensible, you cannot understand Him. We say this in the liturgy. We actually prayed the Gregorian liturgy today. We say He's incomprehensible. We cannot understand the things of God. As we grow and try to understand God, we need to remind ourselves that He is incomprehensible. This is very, very important. Before I continue, can we agree that God is not to be understood? Can we understand he's not to be, un he's incomprehensible. You can't comprehend what he's doing. If you can come with this conclusion and say, I don't need to get it. I know, like my parents take me to the doctors to get an immunization. My parents are holding me. They're smiling and tickling me. And then a guy's coming with a big needle at me. And I look to my mom and my dad. I know I can understand. This is not understandable. But I know that I'm with my mom and dad. Do you have that understanding? Is God the kind of person who sends evil? Ask yourself this, because there's times where you're saying, well, God is evil. God is allowing this, or God was quiet when this happened. I had one girl tell me in a very, very dark time in her life, she was abducted and she was drugged and raped for eight months. And she came to me and she said, Abuna, where was God? She said, he's my father, right? And I said, yeah. And he can see everything, right? Buna, if you saw your daughter, what would you do? Wouldn't you get in and beat up everybody? So if God is a father and he's looking down and seeing this happen, and then what? God is watching that? God's okay with what he saw? And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't help but just feel the deepest pain in my heart. Is incomprehensible. Why, Lord? Why, Lord? No words can really describe what God is. And then later on we go and we say, but Job began to struggle in his heart. And he began to go into a deep sadness and depression and feel this sense of abandonment. And his friends for the first seven days sat next to him and they... they they couldn't imagine, they didn't know how bad it was until they saw him. And they tried to comfort, they did a good job in the beginning. And then after that, 
for the next, I don't know, 28 chapters, you see this conversation between these beautiful friends. They, they're almost like Christian friends, okay? The reason why you're in the hospital, it's spiritual warfare. What am I going to do with that? Or, or maybe you have some unconfessed sin in your life. That's why you're in the hospital. Like, sometimes us as friends, just uh, this is like a side note when you're dealing with somebody that, it, that is suffering. The best way to mediate God's presence to someone who is suffering and feels abandoned by God is to sit with them in silence. Don't come up with too many answers. Just be there with them. Don't pretend you have all the answers. There's nothing worse than the Christians that have all the answers. You don't know anything. Like, what do you know that what, what God is doing? You know? You know what God is doing? Like, all the angels don't know what God is doing. Archangel Michael doesn't know it, but you know what God is doing? This concept of, so he goes through this time of, of people mourning with him. It gets deeper and darker and harder. They actually push Job away further. And so Job starts to feel this alone time. Like, you know, Job, maybe there's something that you need to work on. Maybe God is punishing you for something. May, all of these suggestions are making Job go crazy. I've already lost everything. And now, forget the friends. These are thoughts. Let's pretend that these friends are your thoughts. Telling you, maybe it's because you've sinned so much that God doesn't love you anymore. Maybe it's because um, you don't really love God in your heart. And so you start to say, I'm all of these bad things. You see, while God hates pain, he can also redeem it. God hates pain, but he can redeem it. Let's read Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. It says this, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. This is St. Paul. When we read the Bible... I want you to kind of take a step back and don't just take it like, oh, that's a nice verse. I mean, that's a nice, that's a terrible verse. What do you mean we glory in our sufferings? What does it mean that we are going to glorify God in our sufferings? He says this, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, this verse is telling us that God hates the pain, but He is transforming the pain. And that pain is going to be something that you're going to experience. I want you to understand something about what we believe in Orthodox theology. This is why we talk about some theological things about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took flesh, He took our human nature. And you're like, why do I need to know that stuff? I'll tell you why you need to know that stuff. Everything that Christ took into himself, he sanctified it, and he's in it. So because Christ took the emotions of rejection, that you can find Christ in the feeling of rejection. He took physical pain and suffering and abandonment and rejection and for being forsaken by his friends. He took everything upon himself, and anything that he took in himself, he sanctified. So that when you have that same suffering, you find Christ in it. Christ is there. Christ is in that. That when you find people, sometimes you go, if any of you have ever visited the sick and you go and people are crying in the family, where is God? Ask the person on the bed. Ask the person on the bed. They'll say, I'm so close to Jesus now. I'm experiencing Christ in a way that I never thought I would. 
in your misery on a bed for the last 35 days, not eating, in so much pain, abandoned, like you can't see your friends, you can't... That, that's just how it is. That's just how it is. You see, suffering produces. Suffering brings forth so much. There was a survey years ago that asked thousands of people what had most contributed to their spiritual growth, and the number one answer was pain. Pain is the number one answer. So if you are stagnant in your spiritual life, either you are escaping the inevitable, you're escaping pain, or you're growing through the pain. In winter, I have to learn that nothing is under my control. That's the lesson that I come out with. In summer seasons, when, when everything is nice and you're successful and work is great and the kids are, are, are smiling and, and everything is nice and the paycheck is coming in and everybody's healthy and we're celebrating Thanksgiving as we always do and it's this lovely time, I think, you know what? That I have control of everything. That I'm in control, everything is right. And then all of a sudden, some pain comes in my life and I realize I have no control. Especially in our society where maybe, you know, many of us, you might be experiencing some financial um, security in, in, in our day and age here in, in Northern Virginia. It's not an easy place to live. You, most of us, a lot of people have a lot of financial security. And so you think that, hey, you know what, everything's in control because I can just, like Abun Elijah was saying, I can just slip the guy a 20 and make everything go away. It doesn't work like that when it's spiritual pain. When it's spiritual pain, I have to realize. And the goal for God is that you would realize that your dependence has to be on Him. The biggest difference between you and God is that God doesn't think He's you. You often think that you're God. You often think that you're God and you can control the situation. And you're trying to protect the situation. And we should protect whatever we can protect as much as we can, especially our children. But sometimes there are some things that are inevitable. It just has to happen. Or it's going to happen and God has closed every door and you just have to say, Lord, they're in your hands. God's like, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. You have all of these magic tricks under your sleeve. They're not going to work. Throw all the magic tricks away. Let's just realize that at the end of the day, you need to rely on who? Let go. I'm talking to you all. Let go. Say, Lord, are you in control? Do you have everything in your hands? Do you? Are you the God that is good and not evil? But what we need to do is we must learn to regularly invite God into the experiences of what we call light pain. What is light pain? Look what St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. This is a chapter of suffering. He says, for our light affliction. When St. Paul says our light affliction, he's in prison. He's being stoned. He's being shipwrecked. He's being whipped. He's being on, on boats by himself. He's naked. He's clothless. He's foodless. And he says, for our light affliction is but for a moment. And it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, which is the pain, but at the things which are not seen, 
For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Hold on to that verse with your whole, with your claws. For the things that are not seen are what? Oh, sorry, the things that are seen are what? Temporary. It's temporary. That's what Pope Shenouda says. says. He has a saying that says, eventually it'll pass. Sooner or later it will pass. Your winter will pass. And that's why God gives us four seasons. Even as we start to get into the change, you know, you have fall and you're looking at, you're saying, okay, summer passed. Now you're going to get into colder weather. Winter is going to be there, but it will pass. It will pass. No matter how bad it is, it will pass. What you need to figure out is, what is the new way that God wants to reveal himself to you? In the pain, there is a new way that God is trying to shine in your life. He's trying to say, okay, I am the protector. I'm the provider. I am the father. I'm the father. He wants to show you, maybe you don't know what a father is. He's going to say, okay, let me show you what a father is. He's saying, but no, no, I don't need a father. I did fine without a father. Father hurt me in my life. God's saying, no, I'm going to give you a father. I'm going to be the father. And you're going to see when a father comes and gets involved, God wants you to see that. You see, God wants you to experience something special in Him that you cannot experience as you're going in your little rat race and going through the maze of life. And He's saying, look up and realize that I am all over all of this. God wants us to notice Him in the situation. I want you to think about a time in which pain did something good in you. I want you to look back at a time in which pain did something good in you. There were some things that I experienced, maybe, maybe we all experienced it together here in this church, and, and there was no way to avoid that pain. We went through a lot. And eventually I come out of it and I look back and I say, wow, Lord, that was your design? That was the, if you would have asked me, that's a stupid plan. That plan is not going to work. God says, you don't know anything. You're the stupid one. You're the stupid one who doesn't just go through it. I'm going to grow you. I'm going to teach you. And I'm going to look, look around you. And look at where this church has come after. If you ask anybody at the time when we went through what we went through years back with the loss of one of our senior priests, anybody would say, all right, there goes that church. Bye, St. Mark's DC. It was nice knowing you. Look around. God wants to grow us through our pain and to redeem us and to treat and to turn that pain into something beautiful. You see, pain is a blessing. It brings gifts from God that nothing else does. Nothing else. Pain brings gifts from God that nothing else does. Pain can cause me to wonder where God is also as nothing else can. You see, when everything is fine, who cares where God is? Does it really matter where God is? I'm fine. I got to go to work. I have my nice little house, my cute little kids. We've got a nice vacation coming up. Christmas is coming, Thanksgiving. You don't need to know where God is. Who cares where God is? God's like, really? No, no. You are there to be in relationship with me. Well, I don't need to be in a relationship with you. I'm fine. 
but I connected, I, I created you so that we could be face to face in love, experiencing me and I'm experiencing you and sharing. He says, okay, I'm going to teach you a little something. How many of you parents teach your kids a little something about the value of mom and dad? And your kids ever say, I don't need you. Really? Okay, figure out how to make dinner today. <laughs> make your lunch at 6 o'clock in the morning like your mom does. You know, like, fi figure that out. Figure out how to get from your, to your practices and to pay for your practices and to go out to eat with your friends. Figure that out. Let me know how it goes, buddy. And then they start to feel a little bit of pain. They say, oh, wow, I have a mom and dad and they love me. It's a little bit of pain. Look at the light pain. This is a stupid example of like a little bit of pain and says, ah, I have a mom and dad. I have a God. You see, Job is quite convinced in his story okay, that God left him and he complains that what he really wants is a chance to square off with God. You see, there are something called the Psalms of Lament. There are some Psalms out there that are very, they're the Psalms of not praise, not blessing God, there are psalms of complaining. Let me read one of them. It says this, You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance, gaining nothing from their sale. All this happened to us, though we had not forgotten you or been false to your covenant. That's one of the psalms. They're saying that you gave us up to be devoured, to scatter us among the nations. There are some times in our prayers that we are allowed to complain. They're called the Psalms of lament or, 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 or crying or complaining. Because God is a father. He wants to hear your complaints. You hear, Lord, why have you forgotten me forever in the Psalms? Have you forgotten me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Remember about these Psalms of lament. I read this quote, when we are passionately honest with God, when we are not indulging in self-pity or martyrdom, but are genuinely opening ourselves up to God. When we complain in hope that God can still be trusted, then we are asking God to create the kind of condition in our heart that will make res resting in His presence possible again. So it says when you decide you're going to give this complaint up to God and live in hope that I'm going to complain to Him, and I'm going to vent to him. He says that God will create a condition in your heart that will make resting in his presence possible again in the midst of pain. Something so, so beautiful. Let's look at this conversation between this. this. Job is saying to God, He's saying, oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Have you guys ever done that before, before God? Many of you, you argue with somebody. You're taking it out on your spouse, on your parents, on your kids, on your coworkers. Take it out on God. Take it out on God. Get on your knees and say, Lord, you caused all this. And it hurts. And cry before the Lord. And invite his presence into the pain. Say, Lord, I need you there in the pain. Let's look at this conversation where he's complaining to God. And this is the most, this is the best chapter in the whole Bible. Job chapter 38. God's response to Job. Look at this. 
He says, who is this who darkens counsel by word without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. God is speaking to Job. Prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. This is God speaking to Job. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors? When it burst forth and issued from the womb. When I made the clouds its garment. And thick darkness its swaddling band. When I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors. You see, God is saying, Jacob, or sorry, Job, you're not going to understand. Where were you when I put boundaries to the sea? We prayed that today in today's liturgy. You have put boundaries to the sea. How? You see a wall blocking the sea? But he has a line and that's where it stops. Do you get it? No, you don't get it. That's because it's God. You're not supposed to get it. You're not supposed to get it. When I made the clouds its garment... And thick darkness, a swaddling band. He's saying, where were you when I did all this? Why are you trying to understand my ways? Because Jacob keep, Job keeps on saying, why, why, why? At the end of this chapter, God never answers his question. He could have told him, by the way, Job, one thing you didn't know is that me and Satan had this conversation. And I bet him that you were never going to deny me. You bet on me? They didn't bet, of course. He doesn't know. And God never answers the why. But look at this. You see, this pain is not going to last forever. You have to understand that when he does that, you have to trust that God is worth getting close to. Why? Look at this verse that we see in Job 38, 25 to 27. He says, Who has divided a channel for the overflowing water? This is a beautiful verse. Pay attention. Who has divided a channel for the overflowing water or a path for the thunderbolt to cause it to rain on a land where there is no one. You know, there's like empty plains in the middle of the United States, just empty land and it has grass. There's rain there. There's nobody there, Lord. Why are you allowing it to rain in the middle of nowhere in America? There's no one there for tens of thousands of acres. There's nobody there because I'm just good. My nature is good. I have an irrational love. You will never understand how much I love, how good I am, how un, uh, incomprehensible my goodness is. You will never understand why there is rain in a place where there's nobody that's going to drink from the rain. I'm just good. And this is why the pain is not going to last forever. He is the kind of God who is worth getting close to because he is good. That in the pain is when you get close to him. And it's worth it. That's where you know him. Look at what Job says in 42 verse 5. This is like towards the end of the book. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, which is most of us. Look at this verse. Best verse in the whole Bible. Scratch the other ones. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. My eye sees you. When, Job, were you able to see God in my pain? He says, I heard so much about God and the sermons that I saw it. You see, Job discovered 
What people in pain sometimes learn better than anyone else, that you're never alone. God will never abandon you. I'm going to give you some instructions by St. Isaac the Syrian. He talks about something called the spirit of abandonment. You feel abandoned by God. Listen to what St. Isaac the Syrian says. You ever get a chance to read any of his writings? They are amazing. We need to remind ourselves of God's good providence and remain calm. Listen to what he says. Draw near a little to God in your trials. O fellow human being, by means of your mental disposition, like your mindset, are you really aware against whom you are thundering away, who you're like storming away from? You would immediately find relief if you have the wisdom to remember the hidden providence of this very same God. If you could just remember that he is the one that is going to be there for you, it says, you will immediately find relief in that time. Somebody asked him, what should you do during periods of abandonment from God? Because there are times of the spirit of abandonment. Pray fervently through the abandonment. Look what he says. During periods of these temptations, when someone is darkened, he ought to fall on his face in prayer and not rise up until power come to him from heaven and a light which will support his heart in a faith that has no doubts. That is something I want you to take a picture of it and I want you to say, the way I'm praying is not right in winter. What does he say? Fall on your face in prayer. None of these cold, memorized prayers. Fall on your face in prayer and not rise up until power come to him from heaven and a light which will support your heart in a faith that has no doubts. He doesn't say the problem will be solved. What does he say? You're going to get a strength, a strength to go on. I'll tell you, most beautiful, there was a lady named Dorothy Day. It's a Catholic saint who she opened, she wrote, used to uh, write a newspaper, and she opened up a house for drug addicts and prostitutes, and she brought and she was living with them, her and her daughter. And they were living in her house, and one day she asked her daughter, did you eat? She said, no, they took my food, and they spilled it all over the floor, and they got in a fight, and I got hit. And, and she's like, her, her and her daughter are living in this house to support these people. And her daughter is miserable. They have nowhere to sleep. It's, there's no food. She goes to the church next door and she stands up before the cross of Jesus and says, Lord, you said that you are like among the, the lonely and the least of my brethren. Well, then you are ugly and you're selfish and you stink and you are like, don't think about anyone else, and you're miserable. But I will follow you. And she continued to take care of these people. Dorothy Day, she has a, a movie called Entertaining Angels. It's a beautiful, beautiful movie. Of this woman who says she would just fall before God and find strength to continue going on, even though the circumstances never changed. Remember the zeal of your earlier years. That's what St. Isaac says. Ponder in your heart on the former time of your diligence. Remember the time when you were diligent. For thus, with such and so many recollections or memories, your soul is wakened as if from deep sleep and is clad with the flame of zeal. Remember the good old days. Remember the good old days. Remember how faithful God was in those moments. Occupy yourself. Sorry. Is this like Zoom where after 45 minutes it stops? Okay, I'll just read it. Okay. Sorry. Thank you. 
just don't mind me. Almost done. It's like two slides left. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. Listen to this. What to do when nothing helps? Wait, knowing that this season will pass like winter. These periods of darkness are abandoned, and abandoned St. Isaac compares to winter. Natural life almost completely ceases, but the seeds lie deep in the earth. Pay attention. In winter, natural life dies, but the seeds lie deep in the earth, waiting for spring when they put out new shoots. One should not fall into despair, but rather wait patiently until the afflictions, despondency, and abandonment that one has endured brings their fruits. The fruit of perseverance. St. Isaac says, grace comes to those who resist despair. God permits coldness and heaviness to come upon a man to train and to test him. But if he zealously rouses himself and compels himself a little to shake off these things, then grace will immediately draw him. This is a man who's teaching you the secrets. That when you feel like you can't handle anymore, he's telling you how to get grace. Because once you do that, then joy is born. After much converse with the scriptures, continuous supplication and thanksgiving at his feeble state, with his gaze extended, unceasing towards God's grace after great dejection in the stillness, Listen to this. And little by little, from that starting point, some spaciousness of heart is born. And a germination takes place which gives birth to joy from within. Gaze towards God's grace. Reflect on the scriptures. And then temptation is going to be replaced with closeness of God. This is when you'll be close to God. Temptation will assuredly be replaced by a period of closeness of God. And the feeling of abandonment will change to a sense of God's presence. And I'm not just talking about, oh, like I felt nice during prayer. God himself, his presence is there. God is with you. And you will sense that he is with you in the storm. And glory be to God forever. Amen. Let's stand up and pray. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you but will also transform you and your life with Christ.